0: Welcome to the Fearless Vampire Podcast. I'm on a heartfelt mission through the art of conversation and storytelling to inspire women to pursue their creative entrepreneurial journey with reckless abandon. I'm your host, Taylor, a six-figure photographer and business coach based in Colorado. I'm a right brain mompreneur to two toddler boys, devoted deep conversation holder, and your personal alpaca cuddle liaison. My hope is that you leave our time together feeling empowered and energized to build your dream life. Learn more at fearlessvampire.com. Welcome back to the Fearless Vampire Podcast. I am so excited to introduce y'all to one of my new internet photography friends, Aslyn Chalker, and she's the owner of Wild Sparrow Photography based on the big island of Hawaii. Now, Aslyn's been shooting family photography full-time for six years now. She's a mom. We actually met in a group coaching course, and I am just so excited for y'all to meet her. Thank you so much yeah, for being here, Aslyn. Having- me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yay, me too. How is the weather, real quick, in Hawaii? I'm just like daydreaming because I'm sitting in. <laughs> okay,
1: <snow right> now <laughs> we're really freezing here because we don't own pants, but it's about 65 degrees, and I've got my sweater on and my socks on.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny! I think was, I woke up this morning in Crested Butte, and it was. Negative eight, and then I came home. We're on the other; we live on the other side of the mountain from Crested Butte, Colorado, and it was forty. So I was like (laughs) taking off all my clothes and ready to go jump in a pool.
1: I remember I used to live in Chicago for a couple of years, and you do acclimate. Well, yeah, I moved. I ended up coming back to Hawaii after one too many snowmageddons in Chicago. They like really broke my soul. But
0: I remember acclimating, and it would be ten degrees, and I'm like,
1: it feels. It's not it's
0: not so bad. I think I can do it. Yeah. (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, Aslan, I'm so excited to get into your story hear about family photography. Aslan's going to share some advice with us towards the end about her journey into family photography and what that looked like. But I want to hear about your story. Like how did you get to Hawaii from Chicago? What were you doing before your super successful photography business? I want to hear it all. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's a long a long and winding story. So
1: I'm I'm actually from Hawaii originally. I was born and raised on Oahu. And when I turned 18, I just had to get out of there. I mean, I was I was an eighteen year old on a tiny island, and it felt like the worst place in the world to be. I wanted to see the world, and so I chose for college New York City. (laughs) So not only geographically about as far as I could have gone, but just in terms of the lifestyle in the world, it was the polar opposite of Hawaii, and it was a crash course in life. It was it was an amazing experience, but. I learned a lot really fast being an 18 year old Hawaii kid in New York City.
0: <laughs> I wanna, okay, so did you go through like a shock period or were you like, did you just go like all out living up the 18 year old life in New York City? What was it? Or did you well, like <laughs> huddle under a blanket in your apartment?
1: <laughs> first, I went through the shock of it. I mean, it was amazing and beautiful, but it was really culturally shocking. Just so many people. And there's like a, a, kindness and a community living in Hawaii that I just assumed happened all over the world not the case in New York City people will push you out of the way (laughs) if you're walking too slow down in Midtown I learned that really I learned how to walk like a New Yorker really quickly super super bizarre experience too is that in Hawaii I'm Puerto Rican so I'm just I'm a brown person in Hawaii I am the majority. And anyway, yeah. Caucasian is a minority. In New York City, it was different. So I was now experiencing the world as a minority. It was so bizarre. Oh, um, what a culture shock. shock. Super big culture shock. I also fell absolutely head over heels in love with Broadway. And I was seeing a Broadway show every week using my like student discount. If you're a student, then you get like $25 or $30, $30 tickets to Broadway shows That's whenever they're available. <laughs> I was like, yep, I'm doing this. I'd never seen a live stage show before in my life. And so the first Broadway show I ever saw was the original cast of Wicked.
0: <gasps>
1: and my brain exploded. I thought, this is art. This is the height of yes. just the the arts. And it was so amazing and awe-inspiring to me. And so I like really quickly saw like how much amazing art was in the world and how talented people were. It was just – it was – scary and hard, but also really, really incredible. It was also really cold, <laughs> really yes. cold for me. The cold out
0: east. I mean, I live in Colorado and it was negative eight and I was like, mm, it's cold. But when I am when I go back home to West Virginia and I've been in New York in, in the winter and it is a piercing kind of cold. Like it literally cuts to your bones. It
1: cuts through your body. And I, that's when I learned you can have a really cute winter coat or you can have a warm winter coat, but not they're they're not the same. Because no. I was like, I want the cutest little coat there is. I was eighteen years old. I just wanted to be adorable. That cute winter coat did not keep me warm. No, <laughs> the winters there are not a joke. So I learned that really quickly as well. Yeah, it was incredible. I made some of the best friends of my entire life in New York City, and after that, I moved to Seattle for a a little hiccup I ended up not loving Seattle I think Seattle is is a wonderful amazing city but I think I went from New York to Seattle too quickly and it was like slamming on the brakes it's such a it's so much slower it's really outdoors it was so different which I thought I wanted and I ended up just feeling really out of place in Seattle so I was only there for about eight months
0: I mean, where can you go after New York City where you're not, I mean, unless you move into total isolation, but like, there's nothing that compares to New York City. There's really it is nothing. Like, wild. Yeah.
1: So I ended up having a really good friend of mine say, hey, I'm moving to a new apartment in Chicago and I need a roommate. And I kind of thought, yeah, that feels right. So just, I hadn't seen him, like a really good friend of mine, but I hadn't seen seen him at that point in years. Um, But I packed my bags up and I went to Chicago. And Chicago was a core memory, formative life experience for me. I I was able to just live in a city as an adult. So when I went to New York City, I was still really a kid and I was learning. But in Chicago, I really was coming back as an adult. And it it changed my life. I love, love, love Chicago. If I hadn't met my husband there... (laughs) And he wanted, he, he ended up wanting to move to California for a job. I would probably be in Chicago for the rest of my life. I mean, I love no
0: Chicago. Way. That's awesome. I have never been to Chicago. That is one city that I have not. And oh I gosh. consider myself pretty well-traveled, but I think I've just avoided it because yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, there's there's all the cities out, out West. There's, I've, I lived like six hours from New York and then everything in between New York city and Pittsburgh, I yeah. can get too easily.
1: You would love Chicago. What I, I loved You could go downtown, you could be in downtown Chicago and have that real city feel that I loved about New York and then take a 15 or 20 minute train ride up out of the city and be in a neighborhood and have like neighbors you recognize and a grocery store you could walk to and little shops you could visit. And so it was this non-city experience, just 20 minutes outside of the city. You could have both worlds. also the best food I've ever had in my life. Every mm-hmm. restaurant in Chicago was incredible. So I was introduced to food and cuisine that I'd never really had before. And my husband is like a huge foodie. So he really bonded over all of the amazing restaurants in Chicago. It was just some of
0: the best years of my entire life being in Chicago. Oh, I love that. Okay. So what did you, what did you go to New York to study then? Cause I feel like for entrepreneurs, especially photographers, most of us studied some bizarre thing and, it is completely irrelevant to one running a business or two being an artist or a photographer. What? So, yeah. what did you go to
1: school for? So, criminology. Naturally, yeah, <laughs> right. Of course.
0: Oh um,
1: God. I ended up taking one core or one semester of criminology courses and realizing I actually just love the show CSI. I didn't actually want to be a criminologist. <laughs> um, I was falling asleep in my courses. I mean, I and I I'm a good student normally, but this is not hitting it for me. But but that first semester, I also took one elective graphic design course, and that was it for me. So I ended up changing my major and going into fine arts and graphic design. And that's that's what I ended up getting my degree in.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> OK, so getting a little closer. That's that's awesome. OK, so you and your husband then moved back to Hawaii, or how, how, how did that conversation yeah, go and
1: happen? Well, too many Sonomageddons, like I said. He, um, my husband is from the Midwest, but has hated snow and cold his entire life. So his whole family still lives in the Midwest, but he was like, get me out of here, get me into the sunshine and the ocean. So he got a job offer in California and we just, we jumped at it. Cause I, I kind of was feeling in my heart now being out of Hawaii about 10 years that I wanted to start making my way back home or at at least closer to home. And my parents were getting older I was feeling the urge to settle down and make roots. And it's also really hard to move your business from city to city all the time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So were you in Chicago then? So I actually started my photography business in New York city. <laughs> whoa,
0: whoa. Okay. Yeah. yeah so you, you had moved it quite a few times. And I want to touch on that because I, so many people don't realize that if you move, you're starting back at square one. I mean, thanks to social media, you can have some social proof that you have done something or that you've had a business. But when you move, you're starting all over again.
1: Yeah. Every time you move to a new city, you have to reestablish yourself. You have to rebuild your client list. You have to prove yourself almost. And yes, like you said, a little bit of social proof, but it's not the same. It's it's ground zero. I mean, like you're really starting at the bottom. And I was doing that every time. Photography at that point was still a part-time gig for me. I didn't end up going full-time until Hawaii, actually. So I never pushed it too hard. I just thought, well, if I get clients, that would be cool. But if not, no big deal. It wasn't until I was in Hawaii that I realized, oh my God, I can really do this. And this could be our life and my job. and, And I think I could be successful at it. So it took a lot of years for that mindset shift to happen. But I didn't I wasn't pushing it every time I was in a new city. But every time I was in a new city, it was like crickets for many months. And then and then I would start getting clients.
0: Right. Okay. so what what is it about Hawaii? Like what what changed once you got there that you that made you realize? Because that's a really sobering realization to come to. And for some people, they they never get there of realizing, hey, I could actually do this as a full time career and be happy and love it yeah. and be really good at it? For me, it was two things. The first is I
1: had a cheerleader. So my husband from Chicago was like, you should just do this. This is what makes you happy. I don't know why you're not doing this. And he would say like, you're the best photographer I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, chill out.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that though. Because my my. And my husband was the same. And I was like, you have to say that. We're dating. Oh, exactly.
1: I was like, all right, I'm already dating you. Just calm down. You know, I just thought he was like. You already got
0: me locked in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But he, so he was saying this for years to me. And then when I moved, when we moved from California to the big island, I still had my full-time job. I mean, I was holding on to it because. There is a comfort in that type of steady income. When you dive into a world without that type of very consistent, you like, I mean, when you have a full-time job, you know, your paycheck is not a surprise, not only when you're going to get it, but how much is going to be in that paycheck. You know exactly
0: what's coming. So so let's, let's talk about that real quick because- yeah. That is one of the biggest fears that people have whenever they do quit their job is going from that reliable income. And it's not until you're on the other side that you that that like I can look at somebody now and go, yeah, but you get to decide what you make now. Like if you want to make one hundred and fifty thousand you just say, I want to make 150,000 and you go make it as an entrepreneur. Yeah. But when you're, when, when you're in that space, especially if you have health insurance of yes, I have a consistent paycheck. So was that, do you feel like that was like a personal limiting belief? Because I grew up from a family where my mom was like, I want to work nine to five. Tell me what to do and I will leave and don't call me once I get home. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that's what I wanted. I thought that's what success looked like until I got into the corporate world. And I was like, this sucks.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. Corporate world was not my jam either. Yeah, I grew up with my mom who joined the military when she was 18 and she fully retired from the military after 20 years of service before she was 40 years old, got another job, retired from that fully. 10 years later, she has all these retirement checks. I mean, she sticks with jobs. Mm -hmm. That is how that generation was raised. You pick one career path, you pick one company, and that's your life forever until you retire happily and you get your retirement checks, the end, goodbye. And- once I entered the corporate world and discovered after a couple years I wasn't happy, I didn't know what to do because I was raised to be told, you just pick this one thing, you'll be successful at it forever. At the end, you retire. Like What isn't working for you? Why are you fighting this? And in my heart, I was like, I hate this in my body, and I don't know why or what to do. So. I was forced into photography full time. For I'm going to say forced because when I not by my husband (laughs) when I moved when we moved to the Big Island, I still was holding on to my full time job, and then I got let go. So when I got let go, I was already booking five, sometimes six figure, well, no, five figure months with just photography. But I was still like, this is a fluke. I don't know how I'm making this money.
0: how we tell ourselves that because yes. for the first i've been shooting aslin for 10 years full-time weddings and for the first seven years i was like well it's not it's, this isn't repeatable it's not going to happen people are going to notice that i'm 30 now and i'm not nobody's going to want me to come to their wedding and yeah. it's so funny how we talk ourselves talk to ourselves that way yeah, yeah.
1: I was like, someone's going to figure out I'm not good at this. I don't know why people are paying me money. This is very confusing. (laughs) This is shocking information. Like I just was like in my own head going, this is a mistake. Somehow this will end. This will all go away. So I was in my own way until I got let go from my full-time job. And we had no other choice. I was already making this money, not really trying with my photography. And so then once I put what, so once my full-time job wasn't in the way, my mentality had to shift. I was really, I mean, forced into this life, I would say. But once it was gone, I mean, I could take a deep breath. I could like just relax my shoulders and I thought, "Oh, this is I I think I'm good at this. I could do this." And so
0: the work to get rid of the limiting beliefs took a while. Yeah. So what would you say to someone right who's right now trying to juggle Eight, c- because you were there. I'll, I'll be honest, I lasted six weeks in the corporate world and I was like, please. <laughs> and I jumped in head first. But for what would you say to somebody who's trying to juggle running a business, but also working a corporate job, even, even if you have the luxury of working from home or remotely? What mm-hmm. would you say to them?
1: The first thing I would say is, you know what's going to make you happy and you know what's not making you happy. So decide right now how you want your life to go. And then once you've made that decision, it's just a matter of getting the numbers right. So literally write down, what do you need from your side gig, from the side hustle to be able to let go of the full-time job? And nowadays there's healthcare options without being tied to a corporate job. That's what we do. And thank God for that because the healthcare thing was a really big hang up to us. But once we wrote down on paper, oh, I only need to book X shoots a month in order for us to not only break even, but make a profit, have a savings, make updates to our house, all these things, we were already booking that. It was unbelievable to me. I just had to get out of my own way and write it down. I never stopped to think, well, what would I actually have to make in order for the side gig to be successful? I never did it until I had to. And now I'm making double plus of what my full-time job was paying me. This is unimaginable to me. When I was working my full-time job, I thought this is comfortable and, and, and safe. You have to get away from the safety in order to achieve what you actually want to achieve. And it's so easy to just be like, this is safe and comfortable and I'm not out of my comfort zone. I feel like every part of your body and your brain is saying, just, just stay here. Just stay here. Don't, don't look over there. That's scary over there. You right? have to do yeah. that. You have to look over there. And, you, and I know it's so cliche, but you really have to do the hard thing in order to get to where you want to go.
0: That's awesome. And and like you said, once you have a grasp on your finances, Mike and I have finance dates where we make it like this BFD and we get our favorite drinks and we make a delicious meal and we have a finance. Date. I love that. It's so fun, but it's almost embarrassing to see how much money we need to survive. We're like, we only need that much. Like, Why are we booking all this extra stuff or why are we... Working like whenever Mike was working his corporate job at that point, I had been out of the corporate world for a few years and running our business, not a few for like seven years and running my photography business. And once we saw the finances, I, we were like, I was like, you can quit your job and not do anything. And we'll still have more than enough. And so once you get yeah. clear, I, I I think we tend to overestimate how much money we actually need. Agreed. And then once you see it in writing, it's it's not near as daunting as as I think we build it up in our heads to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, when we moved, my husband didn't have a job and we sort of had this sort of like pressure. Should he start looking for work? And once we wrote the numbers down, same realization. Oh, he doesn't need to work if he doesn't want to. Because we were making more than enough with photography. The, like, the reality of how much money we needed, just like you said, was way less than I thought in my head once I put it down on paper. So same same as you. My husband doesn't work either. Right now he he's childcare, he's home improvement guy. He does everything around our house. He, I mean, honestly, if you don't have that person supporting you from home, I don't know how my business would be as successful because he allows me by taking care of all the housework and child care and all that stuff, he allows me to really focus in my business as much as I need to. It's amazing. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, Mike, Mike took a break for a little while. He actually quit his corporate job. He sent in his letter the morning that I found out I was pregnant with our second. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm not going to tell him until he sends that letter." Because <laughs> I knew that if I told him, he was going to be like, "We need the health insurance. I I can't quit my job." And so once I told him that I was pregnant with Dawson, he I, he you know went into his panic because he had just turned down a really good paying job earlier that week and he started to panic. And I was like, I need you right now. I need you right now because this pregnancy is going to kill me. And it nearly did. And like, we, we still have a, a toddler to, to take care of. And, and so it's just, he, he got to take a break for a while, but then he, he, he loves to work and he's actually a very talented graphic designer. And now he's got five clients that just think the world of him that he loves and he loves working awesome. with. And so everything he's doing is passion projects now, but he's making great income that we just were not expecting. And so, but he never would have experienced it if he had stayed where he was and if we had just got comfortable. Yeah,
1: No, that's exactly it. The fact that he's able to just work on passion projects comes from knowing that your business will sustain your family. And so he doesn't need to, and you don't need to dive into work that you don't love just for the safety of the paycheck or the healthcare. You can work on things that you actually love once you don't have that huge weight of, well, how are we going to make enough? Once you know that you can make enough, you can really start working on things that just light you up.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. So it's, it's, it's funny because for a few years the photography business was the sole source of income But now it's starting to switch again, where I'm like, hey, babe, I kind of want to move into coaching and business. (laughs) So now that his business is starting to like, you know, grow financially, I can start being very selective on the photography clients that I'm taking on and and weddings that I'm shooting. And I get to pursue coaching now as, as this passion that I just didn't realize that I had. And so, but financially I would, I mean, I've turned down probably 30, 40 weddings this year and I would never have done that if, if he hadn't been there, you know, like with his business, but it's, it's just fun. Like when you're married, it just ebbs and flows.
1: Yeah, that partnership, that circle of life, it all all ends up working together. But I mean, that's something when I'm coaching my, my photography mentees, saying no to money is about the hardest thing you can do when you're first starting
0: out. And especially with like, I don't know if this is the same for you, Aslan. I imagine that it is. But for me as a wedding photographer, it's seasonal. So in the summer, I'm like, why did I book 40 weddings? And then January 1st comes and I'm like, you know, we at this point, we haven't had a, had a wedding paycheck in probably three months. And I'm like, oh, I should just book everything. And so yep. anything that would come my way, I would be in that scarcity mindset. Of, yes. Like you said, like, what if this was a fluke? What if it never comes yes. back? And so this year has been, oh my gosh, it's been so hard because I really want to focus on coaching and, you know, these select weddings that I love and the select families that I love. Yeah. Oh my God. The times that I've said yes to the projects
1: I know I should have said no to, no to, I regret it. So listening to your gut Uh and saying no to those projects so that you can just focus on the ones you actually love is probably the best thing you could do for your mental health and for running a sustainable business. Because it's so easy in the scarcity mindset in the slower seasons to just be like, oh, my God, I will take anything that comes my way because I don't know what, the, what oh else God. is going oh to come my way. You're in the scarcity place. And it's that, that's the hardest place to be in to then say no to the wrong things.
0: It is. Especially whenever you, you do have to trust your gut because I say this like it's easy. But for the last couple of weddings that I've told them that were not available, I didn't mm-hmm. have a good reason. I had, I had no good reason. I wasn't like, well, I'm going to yeah. be traveling that week. Like can't do it. Like that makes it easy. Like, you know, if, if we've planned out our, our, our summer camping trips, I didn't yeah. have a good reason. I was like, it's on a Wednesday in September and I don't want to drive. Yeah. No, but that is a good reason.
1: That is a good reason. That's what I'm always telling like photographers that are new and upcoming and I'm coaching. You don't have to explain yourself to anybody. Your reason for saying no could be like, you don't feel mm-hmm. like it or you want to take the afternoon off to get a manicure. I mean, and you don't owe anybody that explanation. It just, if it just doesn't feel good to you, just say no. And that's a privilege that comes with having enough income and knowing that more and more work is going to come down the road. It takes time to get there. I wouldn't recommend saying no to everything in your first year or two or year or two of business when you're just trying to be profitable, but with time and with experience and with consistency, You can then start saying no to those things without a reason. You don't owe it to anybody.
0: I don't know if you follow Anastasia Gentry, um, but she just told me a quote that has been burned into my brain for the last week. And it was no is a full sentence. And I was like, it is. And I just like, I had to read it like 10 times and to really absorb it. But yeah, yeah, it is so hard. Because again, I've been doing this full time for 10 years and getting out of that scarcity mindset. Like, I feel like I am I live in an abundant state mentally, but mm, wintertime. Yeah, during slow seasons.
1: I mean, we have a little bit of a slow season here. It has nothing to do with weather. It's just when people travel or don't. So we feel it a little bit. We don't have like, I feel like weddings have a season. Everybody gets married in the summer and everybody gets married in like, October is that right? I mean, I haven't had weddings in a long time. That's what I remember.
0: Colorado this year is so weird. Last year I had ten weddings just in June alone, which was like 2021 was a a very I learned a lot about myself in 2021. I had a lot of time (laughs) to drive and think about my life. And but then this year I have zero June weddings. They're all August, September, and October. Like my entire wedding. Interesting. I know it's it's so funny, and I think that kind of adds to that scarcity mindset of like, well, in the past, like we've had at least a couple May weddings, which bring in income in the spring. And then, but this year, like my wedding season really doesn't start until August. And so, yeah. Yeah. So something I
1: did my first full time, my first full year of business being full-time photographer is I made notes on every month. Cause I was still trying to understand the Hawaii seasons and what was going on. And I, so I literally just opened up like the notes document or the notes app on my phone. And I was like, January, super slow, February, lots of baby moons. And I made notes for myself so that the next year when I was like, why am I not getting a lot of January inquiries? I just popped open my notes and I was like, Oh wait, last year was really slow too. I'm not doing anything wrong. There are just seasons to these things There are ebbs and flows. And then my notes were like March, exclamation point crazy crazy oh my god oh my god spring breakers <laughs> yes yeah, spring breaks so i'm like okay i know that i know what's coming and it's okay for me to just enjoy this quiet time and we have again the privilege financially to be able to enjoy this quiet time right now and not feel like we have to say yes to everything and that that comes with time
0: I love that. Yeah. That's, that's so perfectly worded. And going back to what we were talking about with the finances, my husband, I, it was literally just like two weeks ago. I said, honey, there's this couple and they want me to shoot their wedding, but I just, there's something telling me not to, but I don't have a good reason. And he was like, here's your reason. And he pulled up our finances for the year. And he said, here's how much my business is bringing in. Here's how much the photography is bringing in. Here's how much the coaching is bringing in is an extra couple thousand dollars going to make a difference? And I was like, nope. And he was like, there you go. There's your answer. So like having a good grasp on our finances, I was like, no, an extra four to 8,000 is not going to, which sounds very privileged. But at this point I had already booked, I had overbooked my wedding season. My Mm -hmm. husband was getting a lot of clients in and and my coaching business was taking off. So I was like, oh my gosh, I just bought back a whole day with my kids and weeks of editing. And just, just by saying no. So again, going back to yeah. having a grasp on your finances, it, it gives you a little more permission and flexibility to say no.
1: Yeah. And even having that person, because sometimes when you're in your business, it's hard to have the perspective of somebody who's looking at your business from the outside in. So mm-hmm. even having a partner or, I mean, I have both my my husband, Matthew, and then also I have a business bestie. Oh, my God. I highly recommend you get a business bestie. What is a she's business not, bestie? I run all my ideas past her. And you I'm just like, mind. hey, is that? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Sure. <laughs> I'll just be like, is this a good idea? And she will. she's 100% honest with me. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. That doesn't make sense. I wouldn't do that. Or, yes, I love it. Yes, why haven't you already done this? I mean, she just gives it to me straight. And there's so much value in just having somebody not in your business. So we are we do everything in our businesses, right? And so we see all the numbers. We it's hard when you're in your own head. Oh Ugh. my God, it's so hard. And so just having that outside person that you can really I mean,
0: the
1: this is not a yes friend. She doesn't like like how I thought my husband was when we were first dating, he right. was like, You're amazing. And I was like, Oh my God, you're not helping. Well now
0: I really trust <laughs> those yes friends. Like, am I fat? No, yeah, you're yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. You look good. You wear a sack. Yes. Be beautiful. Like, it's great to have those friends.
1: Yes. You need those friends too. But for your business, you need someone who's going to give it to you straight. He'll just be like, well, financially, do you need to say yes to this? Because it sounds like you hate it. And and I'm just like,
0: oh, my God, I really
1: had to hear that right now from you. Thank you so much. You're right. I
0: shouldn't do this. (laughs) Well, and and sometimes it's nice, not sometimes, Aslan, but always. It's always nice to have somebody give you permission to say no or to say yes or to pursue something because it's such a lonely world as an entrepreneur. And I mean, like, I know the things that keep me up at night. And sometimes I just need somebody to go, you know what? That's just not a priority right now. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I'm so glad you have a business bestie. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I actually, so I, are do you, are you in Rising Tide? Have we talked about this?
0: Yes. Maybe? No. Okay, we, we so I- talked
1: about it, I don't think though. It's just, I meet so many people who I'm like Rising Tide and they're like, yeah. So I am the leader for the Kona Rising Tide group. And so I meet all of these different entrepreneurs and I love meeting people at all different stages of their business. And I spend so much time during our calls just being like, hey, it sounds like you need permission from somebody- to say no to this project or say yes to this idea. And I'm going to give you permission right now. You don't have to do this or I think you should do this. And sometimes really all you need is somebody else who's not you going, I think you should do that. That sounds great. It, even if you fail, go for it. That's you should awesome. just try it. And I love, cause it is so lonely being an entrepreneur. Like the number of days I spend with just like me and my cold cup of coffee at my computer editing um, or creating new content. Life. Oh my God. Yes, exactly. Like, I need this little boost this, just to be able to talk to other people in my industry because the challenges that we face are so specific. Being a small business owner is so different than. I've been having a corporate job like trying to build something from the ground up the challenges you come across even like all the things we've talked about yeah. saying no to money for the first time you need someone to be like hey girl you don't have to say yes to that it sounds like that person's crazy yeah
0: and that <laughs> you sounds- just need someone to tell you that yeah they can, they, can, they yeah. can go be crazy with someone else and oh yeah, my gosh just- Yeah. Bye. I I love that. (laughs) So Aslan, I want to dive into you are a family photographer and you, you mentioned that you've shot weddings and it's so funny because I think a lot of people, at least whenever I'm, I'm coaching students, they say, I feel like I hear a lot. Well, I just love families, but it doesn't seem very lucrative. And I'm like, no, that's, that's the, that's the worst mentality to have. First, it doesn't matter if it's lucrative or not the money will show up. And you are in a position where you have a very successful family photography business. And it's not just because you live in Hawaii and because people travel there, but which I mean, which has its its own challenges, right? Like it's kind of hard to develop yeah. this loyal client base when you're like, are you coming once? Are you coming annually? Do you live here? Yeah. So I want to hear about what that's been like for you transitioning into focusing, niching down on families. And that had to have been scary. I'm sure you needed permission from somebody at some point to say, hey, just do what makes you happy. But I want to hear about that journey.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So 98% of my clients are tourists. So there are challenges that come with working with tourists. Like you said, I don't have, like, it never made sense to me to have, for example, an email list to send out to my clients and say, oh, new special. Like mini, like mother, mother day, mother's day minis, for example, (laughs) for some people coming to Hawaii is a once in a lifetime trip. Once in a lifetime. You
0: would up and get family photos.
1: Yeah. And for other people, I do see clients that come back year after year. So my client base is completely different. And what really, really helped me in the beginning was deciding early on, I'm only going to focus on families. And I found that that's what people were looking for. There were so many people who said, I booked you because you didn't your website didn't look like you were a wedding photographer who sometimes worked with families. They just so wanted powerful. to
0: see
1: themselves in my work and in my portfolio. And that was almost accidental because at that point in Hawaii, I hadn't really shot too many weddings, but I had shot quite a few families. And so my new website, you know, no Chicago work, no, no California work was whatever I had done in Hawaii up until that point, which just happened to be families. And I still at that time was thinking, you know, I probably should shoot a couple of weddings for like a big injection of income. And it wasn't happening, but I was booking not only like five plus family sessions a week, but I was turning down family sessions every day. All the time. It was really crazy. And it was just because people wanted to see what they were looking for in my work and on, on my website. They didn't wanna to have to pour through wedding blogs and other things like that in order to find one family session to see if
0: you were a photographer who did what they were looking for. Right. Oh my gosh, yeah, the the power of niching down, I feel like I've talked about in every episode so far, and I coach my students on it, the power of niching down is unmatched. I mean, if, yeah. if, if you don't do anything for your business, Find your niche and serve it really well. Um, Really
1: well. And I started, I mean, I started seeing patterns to the questions people were asking me. And this is something when I coach photographers as well. I'm like, anytime you get a question, that's now an FAQ. Anytime you got a question that comes up over and over and over, mm-hmm. that's an FAQ because what you're doing is when your client reaches your website or Instagram or whatever, wherever you're showing up online and they see that the question they had in their head was already answered by you, you've established yourself as the expert. And you've or built maybe that they didn't, trust. Yeah. And you, you're building trust without even, they haven't even submitted a contact form yet, but maybe you answered a question they didn't know they had yet but they found the answer to it on your website. And they're like, oh, this girl is an expert. She knows about this. So you need to be listening to what your client's fears are, to what their questions are, and not only answering it for that client, but putting it out there on your website or make a reel about it, wherever you show up that you're comfortable and answer those questions to establish yourself as the expert in that field and build your trust with people who haven't even booked you yet.
0: That's amazing. Okay, so you have a team of photographers, correct? Now I do. Yeah, I do. So what what was that transition like? Because I know personally like that makes me physically ill the thought of mm-hmm. like hiring somebody to shoot for me. Now so what what was that like for you? Cuz that's a huge level of growth. Right Big step. It was a huge step. So the catalyst for it was really when
1: I became pregnant with my daughter mm-hmm. and I'm looking way down the line to maternity leave thinking again, my husband doesn't work. And so I am the sole earner, sole income provider for our household. What are we going to do? How are we going to set ourselves up for success? And I realized that I needed other photographers on my team and that there were a lot of other, so there are a lot of other family photographers or photographers who do family photography on the big island. I think I'm one of the only ones who specializes in family photography on the big island. Um, that I was sending work to all the time because I was turning sessions down. I mean, during my busy, busy seasons, we'll get 10, 15 plus inquiries a day. It's really wild. And I can't say yes to all those. I was sending it out. And I thought, well, maybe instead of sending it all out, I could train people who are already there, who are already really close in their work, train them in my style and offer the same experience to the clients who want what I'm offering with a different photographer. So my pregnancy jump-started this. Um, I began looking for other associates February, 2020.
0: Oh goodness. (laughs) Timed that Um, perfectly.
1: (laughs) That worked out great. So we ended up, there was like a one-year pause. I didn't need associates because we weren't working during COVID because nobody was coming to Hawaii during COVID. So I had all this material that I created. I had, um, you know, documented my session flow, my posing system and everything like that. I had made all this material and then didn't have any way to use it. But then March 2021, so one year kind of after COVID really got started, people started flooding back oh, to Hawaii. My so then
0: yeah.
1: I yeah, we had to kick start that associate program right back into gear. I have um I started with a team of four uh photographers, including me. It was a huge, huge growth leap. It was insane. Um, It was scary.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I would love to hear more terrifying. about it. We're going to have to have like a good entirely other podcast episode about how yeah. to like build a team of photographers cuz yeah. so I did want to ask you about the name of your business but Wild Sparrow like I mean that lends itself to having associates and I talk about this in my course that I um that I teach Taylor Jones Photography like if I'm not showing up something's something's off. I got hit by a truck. And so Using your name and using a brand name like Wild Sparrow, what's the history behind it? And do you feel like that's what led you to be allowed to grow, not allowed to grow, but allowed to like train other photographers and really build this empire that you have?
1: Yeah, I think I always, in my mind, wanted my business to be big. And I did start out as Aslan Victoria Photography, and it, it felt small and it felt cliche Mm -hmm. to me after I used it for a few years. So I came up with Wild Sparrow sitting in my Chicago apartment, freezing cold, thinking about how I just wanted to fly somewhere else. I wanted to be on the move. I was thinking about movement and motion and warmth. And it just came to me after a couple days of brainstorming. And as soon as I, and so I have my graphic design background, as soon as I thought of it, I had a logo together within two hours. I mean, everything just began like clicking in place. And it felt like, just like you said, I thought I could grow this beyond me because my goal is always to have a business that can run without me in it. I'd still always love to shoot one or two sessions a week, I guess, maybe if I have to, but I want to be able to have a team. I always wanted to get bigger. And this name felt right to me. It could could grow out beyond just me personally, because like you said, when it's just your name, people want just you. And they're confused. If you say, I'm not personally available, but this person is, they're like, well, I don't understand what's happening. Right. But it was a really seamless transition. We were able to, I have a VA now who responds to all my bookings and she's able to say like, hey, thanks for your inquiry. Aslan isn't personally available, but her highly trained associate is, and they're available on this date. Yes or no?
0: That's amazing, Aslan. Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. I, um, I've i never had the desire to have associate photographers. There, there's times when I'm like turning away 30 weddings. I'm like, that would have been okay. But for my personality type, I would, I think I would just get way too stressed out about yeah. it. Yeah.
1: The control you you want to know. And, and that took me a while, too, when galleries would come back from my associates. And I'm thinking, like, I would have done this setup a little bit different. But if you take a step back and you look at the photo, it's still, like, stunning and gorgeous and it shows their own style. So we did have to put language around booking associates to explain you're booking an artist and every artist has their own style. And they've all been trained, highly trained, high touch training by me. But at the end of the day, I'm not trying to look for a copy paste of me. I'm looking for people who can still capture joy and laughter and make clients feel really comfortable and happy and still be artists. I don't want to hire an associate photographer and be like, hey, everything you do, I wanna change it. That's terrible,
0: I wouldn't wanna work for that person, oh my God. (laughs) That's beautifully put, Aslan. Okay, so I wanna know, since we're already talking about how you've been training photographers, if you could offer up like three pieces of advice or encouragement for somebody who's wanting to transition into their photography business, what would you tell them? Okay, this is a great question the the
1: first piece of advice i would give to anyone starting any business is you need to have your systems in place mm-hmm. before you go big so imagine one year from today if you had twice as many inquiries as you're currently getting do you have systems in place to be able to handle that without becoming overwhelmed and burnt out do you have a crm do you have email templates do you have brochure pdfs already made and solid if you're one piece, you know, responding to emails without templates, without a system, without even automation, double your increase a year from now and you're overwhelmed and you're in the water and you're not pro- going to be able to provide your clients with a seamless,
0: excellent experience. What, what CRM do you use? HoneyBook. Do, do you? I use Tave and I'm, I've, I've thought about switching, but mostly because I know I'm not using it to its fullest potential because client relation management systems are intense. They are not for the pain of heart.
1: No, they're really challenging. And I mean, I'll just give you another piece of advice. A couple of years ago, I realized that I wasn't using HoneyBook to its full potential either. So I hired an expert. I hired a HoneyBook pro, somebody who excels in that in that space. I walked her through what I was currently doing and where I wanted to be. And she had a VIP day. And in one day, she transformed my entire CRM backend and got me up and running. And that, oh my God, invest in, with your business Use your money to invest in people who are good at the things
0: you are not good at. <laughs> that is the power of niching down. Yes. And I I have a podcast episode that I have just recorded. I just finished recording on outsourcing. Outsource your oh entire God. life. Anything oh, yes. you're doing in business, send it to somebody who's really good at it, who loves doing it. Yes. I love my VAs. I have a podcast VA as well. I, I love the team that we're building.
1: Yeah, I have. I outsource my editing. I have an amazing editor that I've been using for years. I outsource social media. (laughs) I have a VA as well. That was freeing for me. Yeah. Freeing. Oh Oh my my gosh. So yeah, I use HoneyBook and I hired someone who was good at it, which I recommend. Like, If there's something that you need to do for your business, but you don't love it and you're not good at it, find a way to hire out somebody who can do it for you. You don't have to do every single Mm -hmm. thing for your own business. You there are certain things you personally have to do, but it's not every single thing by any means.
0: Yep, I've got um a Tave expert in my mind for this year because I've I've had it for a year and I have all I have the best intentions and I can send a contract and create a new client and that's the extent of it. Like nothing's automated right now. Yeah, thankfully QuickBooks you you can automate a few things, but that's neither here nor there. Okay. But if you keep if you keep dropping it to the bottom of your to do list,
1: like oh okay, I'm gonna move this to next week. Next week. Once you've done that two, three, four times, it's time to just hire someone to help you out. Exactly. Okay. So so yeah. okay. So second, sorry. Oh no, 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 you're fine. So second piece of advice: Your art is probably already good, and you should continue to invest in getting better at whatever it is you do. But don't forget and don't sleep on the client experience because that is what. People are going to come back over and over and over if they had a great experience. Someone could have had a wonderful session and loved their photos, but if the experience was lagging, they may not come back to you. And and here's what experience means. Here here are the things I wish somebody had told me when I first started. All experience means to me, respond to emails as soon as you can. Be kind and clear in your emails. That's all it is. (laughs) Answer questions directly give the clients what they're looking for. So if somebody says, what's your pricing? Just be like, Hey, here's my pricing. It's attached. Let me know if you have questions. I mean, I just answer their question for them. I'm not like, well, could you talk to me about X? I'm like, here's my pricing. Cause my pricing is set and I don't really compromise on it. I don't, there's no wiggle room. I have my packages and my prices and there's no conversation. Involved. That's, that's
0: awesome. And that's such a beautiful way to put it. And I've I'm gonna get on. I'm gonna get on a pedestal here. Yeah. I was trying, and this is before. So I we we were going to Maui pre-pandemic. Aslan, I emailed eight photographers. One got back to me three months later and told me, You probably already booked somebody, but if you didn't, let me know. And I was like, Are you outside of your holy mind? You think I want to work with you? I emailed you three months ago. Like And so I don't know what's in the water in Hawaii, but I'm super excited to get to work with you now. I'm like, Hessen's talented. and She's in Hawaii and she answers
1: me. The number of of people who inquire, I respond or my VA responds within an hour, maybe two. I mean, we're fast and it's automated as well. So like we're like once we sort of do a quick validation, yes or no, that we want to work with you or that it will work out we get back to you. So the number of people who just say, thank you so much for emailing me back. Just answer and then
0: emails and you've
1: got to, <laughs> you've got to blowing.
0: secure business. there you go.
1: I'm like, yeah, I'm like, oh my God, that's all that I had to do. Just respond to people in a timely manner. Like that, that can be as simple as a good client experience. And then what I was talking about way earlier in the conversation, which is answer questions, you know, that yeah. are going, you know, it will come up on your website before they even ask them. It's so easy. The same questions come up with for me over and over and over. And they're all answered on my website now. Mm-hmm. I don't get those oh questions my anymore. I already answered your question. And then I convinced you either with my work or with my expertise to reach out and then we book. And I think so in HoneyBook, you can see your book rating. I'm very consistently at over 90% from inquiry to book. That's booking. incredible. All we're doing is emailing people back, answering their questions, and just being kind and warm in our in
0: our email yes.
1: conversations. Oh, my gosh. So that,
0: I love it, Aslyn. That's perfect. Okay, so what's your third piece of advice?
1: So my third piece is very specific to people who want to go into family photography. I just I, – I don't want you to look down at family photography. I don't – I – there, It is an underserved market. There are not enough photographers who specialize in just family photography. And you're not going to be successful in it if the whole time in your mind, you're thinking, I can't be successful in this. Nope, you can't if you don't believe you yep. can. <laughs> truly, truly, you just have to change the way you think about it. There is a way to be profitable Doing just family photography. And for full disclosure, I also do maternity sessions because they often turn
0: into natural family sessions. That's a natural (laughs) transition.
1: Um, But within my first full year of business, I was a six-figure photographer. And now in my fifth or sixth year of business, multi-six-figure photographer, just doing family sessions, growing out my team. And I love this work. And I believe that it's possible to be a successful family photographer. You don't have to shoot weddings if you don't want to. You don't have to shoot anything you Mm -hmm. don't want to if you don't want to do it. You can be there are so many successful newborn photographers or even more specific in studio only newborn photographers. I mean, you can get as specific as you want establish yourself as the expert in that space. People will trust you and go to you because they'll think, Oh, Aslan is the family photographer person. And I have client, I have friends who send me clients that are family sessions because they don't want to do family yep. sessions. And they're like, Aslan is the family photographer you will go to her. She will take care of you. I love that. And I get so many of those that I had to get a
0: team. I had to train people. Oh my gosh. This is so beautiful, Aslyn. Okay. So I want to hear real quick. So I, one of my mentors, one of my first mentors I ever had was like, you can make six figures as a photographer and it's not that hard. And this was 12 years ago. I mean, this was before like wow. everybody and their mother needed a photographer, literally like for everything. And before social media. And I, my head exploded when, cause he said it so just casually, like, yeah, it's not that hard to make six figures. And once you like, if, if you do follow this, you know, this, Epic client experience, niching down, serving people really well. It's not hard. It just happens. Mm-hmm. I want to hear about your coaching program because you are getting ready to launch a very specific family photography posing course. I want to hear all about yeah. this because I don't know who would not want to learn from you if you have not seen Aslan's work. It's jaw-dropping. <laughs> so I want to hear, I want to hear about this course. Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. So I said this earlier, the family photography industry, I really believe is underserved. There just isn't enough family photographer education that exists out in the world. Everything seems to be about weddings. When I was niching down, I wanted to invest in my education. I wanted to get better. I, I went out searching for educational courses or guides or anything I could get my hands on to learn as much about this and to just fast track my growth. I found
0: Nothing. Oh gosh, that's so,
1: <laughs> nothing. That was what I. It's was so disheartening,
0: for. but like inspiring at the same time to be like, there's nobody filling this yeah. need, but I really need. Something. Nobody was
1: filling it. Yeah, and there there was some family photography education out there that was not the type of family photography that my clients were wanting and that I wanted mm-hmm. to do. So there's a lot of stuff out there that's um, sort of like teaching you how to shoot you know, with authenticity to like go with the flow to believe in yourself and like the magic will happen. What my clients want, they want me to know how to move their bodies so that they look as skinny as possible. They want to be flattered on camera. They want to know that I know how to pose them. Nobody wants, none of my clients want me to just say, play on the beach with your family and I'll just, yeah, go, go be natural. They don't know what that means, which is
0: it just it just goes to show, Aslin, how much you understand your your niche. Because I'm a mom, I don't want to look like I have extra baby weight on when I'm showing up in front of a yeah. camera. It's very intimidating as as a mom postpartum with kids to show up on yeah. camera. It's much easier to be behind camera, and I'm a photographer. Like yeah. I would much rather be behind yeah. the camera.
1: Oh, I'm the same way. So first baby, body changes, pandemic, (laughs) body changes. I mean, there are a lot of reasons for me to not be in front of a camera right now. And if I knew of a photographer who was laser focused on making me look as flattered as possible, while also just capturing like joy and love and connection, I'd be like booked, no questions asked. And that's what I really wanted to teach. because I couldn't find that in this space. So this is a family photography, not weddings, not couples family photography posing course and it's really it's no fluff it's no bs i literally walk you through this is where you tell mom to put her hand this is where this is how you have mom turn her body this is what you have this kid do if he's being crazy because toddlers (laughs) are crazy and i just feel like there are challenges in family photography that are different than wedding photography so wedding photography very hard not for the faint at heart. I couldn't hang. I didn't love it. <laughs> I moved into families and it's hard in a different way. So with kids, you do not have children who are like, yes, I will listen to the stranger and cheerfully cooperate.
0: <laughs> yes, we do get drunk bridal well, yeah. parties,
1: but they're, they're, they're pretty comparable. I, so us. this is a story for another interview, but I, one of my last weddings, a very drunk groom Uh, kicked me in the face on accident while dancing on the dance floor and just split my lip open, blood everywhere. The DJ's like, the photographer's ready for the big group shot. And I'm like bleeding in the corner. Like, no, I am not ready. (laughs) That was the end of weddings. No No. toddler has ever kicked me in the face, but you do have to know how to work with toddlers. I cover that in my course, tricky situations, Um, dads who don't want to be there, teens who are rolling their eyes at you. This is all stuff that happens all the time at a family shoot. And I learned it the hard way. I learned from years of experience and I happen to be a high volume family photographer. And so I get over 200 sessions a year that I shoot. So I learned fast and I learned at a high volume that the same things happen over and over and over. And I wanted to teach people how to, how to work with it, how to address it, how to deal with the dad who doesn't really want to be there while still flattering mom's body and making the two-year-old fall in love with you. That's hard. That's hard to do. It is. So I want to, that, I mean, my course goes into everything I know about posing families, working with kids, working with reluctant, sorry to keep like hitting on dads, but like sometimes the dads really don't want to be there. I I mean,
0: it's a pattern. Like you said, like you see the same thing at every shoot. And I'll be honest. I mean, when I do engagement shoots, the grooms Oftentimes, are like yeah. mm, I'm doing this too, but by the end of it, they're like thanking me and asking yeah. when we can hang out again. So it, it, you, you do have to know your your niche very intimately. Yeah. The number of times that the dads
1: will look at me and go, "Oh, are we done? That was fun. This might be the most fun thing we've done in Hawaii." I love, I'm like, it.
0: oh my god, that's so nice. What a testament, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Aslan. Okay, so where can people find out more about you? Where can they learn about your course? I'm, I'm excited yes. to like introduce you to everybody that I know. <laughs>
1: oh, I'm so, I'm, I'm such an introvert. So I never really like put myself out there, but I love talking to you. I'm I so excited this. for this to get out there. <laughs> so you can see my work at wildsparrow.com and that's wild with an E. You can sign up for my posing course. You can read all about it at posingcourse.wildsparrow.com. It's launching next week, which it will be live by the time this podcast goes out. (laughs) Uh, I'm just so excited to put it out into the world. I really want to help fill this gap of family photography education. It's honestly, for me, family photographs become heirlooms. They become part of your legacy. Like they're not anything to look down on. Even, Even just a Christmas card photo could be the most important photo that a family has. They're... There have been sessions I've captured where the clients will email me months later and say, you got this last picture of my dad before he passed away. Oh my God. Like that is so, that's such important work. And I want you to know how to do it. I want you to be able to walk in confidently to your family sessions and be like, no toddler is going to get the best of me today. I'm going to get this shot for these families. I want my families to walk away knowing that we got just beautiful pictures of their family. And that's what the course is all about. So posingcourse.wildsparrow.com is where you can learn about the course and wildsparrow.com is where you can learn more about me and my work. And if you're coming to the big island, I hope you
0: reach out. I can't freaking wait for our trip. to -do 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 do. Me neither. Aslan, I just want to ask one more question. And I love ending on this because it just humanizes us as entrepreneurs, especially when we are successful, that we do go through BS all the time. When was the last time that you didn't feel like enough?
1: Probably making this course. Yes. Oh, <laughs> making courses is no joke. I'm on my
0: second one.
1: and it's- Yes. The mental shift from I'm a person who offers this service to I'm now going to teach it. Mm-hmm. The the things that happen in your brain of just imposter syndrome, you're not good enough. Who are you to be teaching family oh photography? Gosh. And And just needing to move past that to realize that you deserve to take up space. And you're allowed also to fail. I mean, I've sort of made peace with if this helps even one person, that is a massive success in my book. That's not a failure. But even if I do fail, I did it. I put it out there. I realized that I had something to say and I said it. I wasn't just quiet and said, well, other people will struggle and I hope they figure it out. I had to like get past that imposter syndrome and put it out there. I'm still fighting with it all the time. Just moving into the space of education is so it's hard. Very hard. It's so easy to feel like you're not mm-hmm. enough. Thank God for my cheerleader, my husband, and my business bestie. Yes. Highly recommend
0: you get one. <laughs> or I'm gonna find you a <laughs> Marco Polo to be my new business. I'll be blowing up your phone. Because oh I, my gosh, like moving into photography was terrifying, but I had my work to prove that I was capable. But when you move into the coaching and education, oh my gosh. Has, the nights that I have spent like crying and yeah. waking up and still crying, like it's just such a different world to be like, trust me, I know yeah. things. I mean, it just feels so much different than being able to showcase your work because now I feel confident in my work. I'm like, I, I know I'm a very good photographer. I know yeah. the experience I deliver is untouched yeah. because it's so fun.
1: But that took years. That took years for you to get to that confidence place, right? So why would we ever expect it to take, you know, a day or a month to get to that place of confidence with some new adventure, right? Like we're so mean to ourselves when we're doing these things. And I think about my husband all the time telling me, would you ever, like, why are you being so mean to yourself? Would you ever say that to me? Would you ever say that to your best friend? You would never be like, you're probably going to fail at this. You're not going to, you're, no, no one's going to want this. People are going to no. at you. You would never say that to your best friend. You would just be like, oh my God, I'm so happy you're finally doing this. The world needs this. Put it out there. Go big, do it. And so trying to talk to yourself <laughs> like your best friend, it's hard. They, like it's ups and downs when you're launching something like this and when you're, when you're switching your audience and your focus. It's all really hard. It's worth it to do the hard thing. It's just worth it. And that's what I keep reminding myself. Yeah, remind
0: yourself. Yeah, no, it's, it's girl. I got a therapist for that. Like <laughs> negative shame talk. I was like, this isn't going well. And I can't transition into a new career field. If I'm going to keep talking to myself, like yeah. says, I should not. So Aslin, thank you so much for being on here. We're going to put how to contact Aslyn and get in touch with her in the show notes. I am so honored that you were here and you took time to be here with us. And just thank you for, for what you're doing and what you're putting out into the world. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you for
1: interviewing and finding amazing female entrepreneurs and showcasing them and giving them a a platform to have a voice. I think what you're doing is amazing.
0: That makes me so happy, girl. (laughs) I'm terrified putting out a podcast. It makes me want to throw up when I think that's keeping me up at night too, that imposter syndrome of you have no story. How dare you? Why would you? I believe in you. I believe in you.
1: I think you're going to kill it. I love this. so
0: excited about this. Thank you so much, Aslyn. Hopefully we'll have you again as like, I'm, there's like a million things to continue talking about. But thank you so much for tuning in and listening. And I'll see you in the next episode. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. Bye.